Okay, so if you want to rewatch that at home, that was B the B sixty five. So, last week we talked about who is the Holy Trinity. What is the Holy <coughs> Trinity? Um, today we're going to talk about who is Jesus Christ. There was a lot in this video in five minutes, um, so I just kind of want to go through some of his points. Uh, the first thing that he mentioned, one of the first things that he mentioned, was that that Jesus is respected by other traditions. So, does anybody know, for example, what the, the Muslims believe about Jesus? He was a prophet. Do they believe in the resurrection? No. They believe he died on the cross, and that was it. And, and any story of the resurrection was some kind of pretense or, or fiction made up by his followers. Okay? Um, if you ask... Uh, Jews, they'll say, oh, yeah, he had some great teachings, but do they believe that he was the Messiah? No. 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 I thought they believed Jesus is in hell. Hmm? I thought Jews believed that Jesus is in hell because he was blasphemous. Could be. <clears throat> but most of them aren't going to say that to your face if you're a Christian. No, but... But that may be true. That may be true. And the whole thing about Judaism, too, is that the Judaism of Christ's time is almost entirely different than the Judaism of today. Why? What's missing from Judaism of today that was in Christ's time? The temple. temple. Judaism at the time of Christ was centered completely around the temple. And so when the the temple was destroyed in AD 70, Judaism was left without a center, without without a, a focus. And so over time, then the synagogue became the focus, and the Talmud and the, and the later writings. So if you were to compare and contrast the, the Judaism of today with the Judaism of Christ's time, they're very, very different. Um, perhaps the closest thing to the Judaism of Christ's uh, time is the uh, worship of the Samaritans. The Samaritans still engage in animal sacrifice, and they still, they still worship at their temple. Uh, in Samaria, there's very few Samaritans left uh, because they've been persecuted throughout history. But, but, um, but yeah, the Judaism that we know from Congregation Ahavah Shalom or you know Beth, the Temple Bethel or whatever, you know, especially these different strains of Judaism, um, completely unknown in Christ's time. So, um, it's an adaptation for the destruction of the temple. So. Uh, one of the things they talked about was, and we've talked about this before, was if Christ, if you had to pick Christ out of a lineup, would you be able to do so? Would he appear any different than any other normal human being? Mm-hmm. And except for a few, I mean, there were a couple times that he did, but other than that, no, he, he appeared the same as any other person. Um, remember we talked about substance and accidents. This Aristotelian kind of classification of how things are. So the accidents of Jesus, the way he looked, the way he appeared in the world, were no different than yours or mine. Okay? His substance, obviously, was different. Right? And it's that how that substance was different that has been the cause of, of discussions since the time of Christ and continues to be. Um, it is the source of many heresies in the church. Um, many splits in the church. Um, so, the accidents of Christ, 
this, were the same as you and me. He was he was completely human in appearance, right? So what was one time perhaps that he was not transfiguration. the transfiguration when he appeared in all in all his glory, <coughs> right? And he shone forth with you know the glory of God. Um, so. One of the descriptions we have of who, who is Jesus Christ is the first, is, is the lesson we just heard, the last gospel that we just heard in church. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? Without Him was not anything made that was made. If you look at that verse, it parallels, anybody know what, what it parallels in the Bible? Genesis. Genesis, Genesis 1 1. Yeah, exactly. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? So, um, but these terms that John uses in the beginning, which is in Greek, are he, uh, word, logos, God, theos, these were theological terms in use at that time, not just for Judaism, but in many religions. Okay? They all had a concept of are he, beginning, logos. Word, Theos, God, okay? And so the way John outlines them is unique to Christianity, okay? In some other religions, they would have a structure, they had a hierarchy, you know, and those, all three of those were completely different. But John equates Logos and God as the same, all right? So it's important to notice that we're talking about two different aspects of the life of Christ, if we want to put it that way. There's pre-incarnation and post-incarnation, right? So when we talk about being of one substance with the Father, um, that's pre-incarnation, right? He was also of one substance with the Father after the incarnation, but he took on the additional humanity, right? So does that mean there was a time when he was not human? There was a time when he was not human, yes, before the incarnation. Yes. He was divine but not human. Okay. It is in the incarnation that he took on humanity because Mary was the source of his humanity. Okay? If you ever look at... Some people accuse us of Mary worship, right? Because we have all these titles for Mary and we... we we, we acknowledge her in our worship. Um, if you look at every single title that we ascribe to Mary, they're all Christological in nature. What does Christological mean? They're centered, centered on Christ. They're centered on Christ. They point to Christ. For example, we call her the Ark of the New Covenant. Right? So what does that mean? Well, she carried within her the New Covenant, the New Covenant who is Christ. Okay? We call her... Um, you know, the big icon normally in the back of Eastern Rite churches in the, in the apps is called Platitera ton Uranon, more spacious than the heavens, okay? What does that mean? Well, it means that she bore within herself the creator of everything who is infinite, right? So everything we talk about Mary actually points to Christ. So it's always important to remember that. Um, I love when I have a note that I took at like 6 o'clock this morning and I can't remember what I was going to talk about it on. So, 
we talked about the Holy Trinity being relational, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? So Christ exists as part of that relation of the Holy Trinity. But yet, he is also fully human, right? He had, and as, as Steve pointed out, he had a human body, he had a human soul, a human mind, and a human will, okay? Two of the biggest points of, of controversy, I guess, within, with regard to who is Jesus Christ, have come in the, with, with regard to his nature and um, his will, right? So nature and will are two separate things, right? We all have our human nature that we share. Ours is the broken human nature. His was, his was human nature perfected. Um, and we also all have free will, right? Being made in the image and likeness of God, we have free will. So Jesus also had, as for being fully human, free will. The reason we say he was perfect human is because his will never deviated from that of God. We're always trying to figure out, okay, God, what is your will in this? Well, he didn't. He, had, he knew. Right? Or at least he always made the right choice. Right? He always made the right choice. Because there is that time where he says, Father, if, if this, you know, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Right? So we have this contradiction where he talks about Christ emptied himself. Christ was divine. Christ was God. But yet in this human form, having emptied himself, yet still being divine, he says, Father, if it be thy will... Let this cup pass from me. You know, so he emptied himself. He became, um, he became a paradox. That's an important word, and we run across it all the time in Christianity. Paradox. Now, I'm going to read you the Wikipedia version because Wikipedia is the source of all good theology. <laughs> <laughs> A paradox is a statement that, despite apparently sound reasoning from true premises, leads to a self-contradictory or a logically unacceptable conclusion. A paradox involves contradictory yet interrelated elements that exist simultaneously and persist over time. Okay? Christ was a paradox. And this is one of the trouble we, troubles we have with picturing and... and, and capturing in our minds who he was fully god yet fully man how can that be so there were those who said well it really can't so we have to logically look at this and figure out okay well maybe there was a time that there that that christ the jesus and christ were separate but that after jesus was born then christ came down into him and he became the son of god is that what we believe? No. 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 But see, people are trying to reason this out. So then they said, well, maybe he wasn't truly human. He was just kind of a manifestation of the divine made to look human. Now that makes sense, but is that what we believe? No. no. Okay. Instead, we keep getting left with this paradox. Fully God, fully man. Okay. So, 
St. Peter talks about he was begotten of the Father before all ages, foreordained before the foundation of the world. So the Word existed from before time. There's an important distinction that we fail to make sometimes, especially when in translations of stuff. We, t we tend to say that this eternal, and we sometimes say everlasting, right? We'll use those words interchangeably, but they're not. And anytime we see it, it's a bad translation. Why? Because eternity is not the fullness of time. It's not all time. Eternity, E, means outside. Eternity is outside of time. So God existed before time did. God created time and space and the universe and everything we know within it. Okay? If you were to tell, you know, a physicist would say God was there before the Big Bang. If he was a believing physicist, and there are people who are. Okay? So, before time, before space, before anything in the universe that we know exists, God was. And the Son was begotten of the Father before all time. Okay? It's one of the problems we have with discussing death. What happens to us after death? We're promised eternal life. Does that mean we go up and we're on a, on a cloud with a harp for, for eternity? I mean, not eternity, but the, the, the corresponding word is uh, sempiternal. That means all time. That means forever and ever and ever and ever until the end of time, right? But this is not equal to this. This is, this is still within time. This is without time, outside of time. We're promised eternal life, life outside of time with God. So after the universe, the Big Bang, you know, the Big Crunch or whatever's going to happen, <coughs> we're promised we'll still be here, right? But our minds can't wrap themselves around that, can they? And so rather than accept this as a mystery, we come up with things that we try to explain the greatest mystery of all, which is what happens after death. Right? We try to explain this passage from time, time fullness to timelessness. Right? So the Roman Catholics have come up with purgatory and limbo, and oh, I think they got rid of limbo now, uh, but they still have purgatory. You'll hear Orthodox talk about toll houses and things of that nature. It's this, it's this effort to explain uh, what happens after death. How do we translate from timefulness to timelessness? Okay, but it's a mystery. None of us will know exactly how it works until we're in the process, right? So, God existed eternal. God <coughs> exists eternally, right? All of us have existed within time, temporally. Temporally, yes. Okay. One of the things that you'll see on uh, an icon of Christ. So, say this is his head, and here's the halo, right? Because everybody holy has a halo, except for one icon, which is the transfiguration, in which he has a nimbus. A nimbus is like a full-body halo, okay? That's what that, that's the technical term, okay? But in 
an icon of Christ, you'll see it divided up, and it'll have three letters. It'll say, O, on, basically, okay? What that means is the existing. The existing. When someone asked God his name, what did he say? I am. I am. Jesus is I am. Not within time, not just within time, but eternally. The word has been begotten of the Father. Okay? Interesting note. Did Christ ever appear in the world before the Incarnation? Yes. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of the teachings of the church is that every manifestation of God that you see in the Old Testament was actually the Word. So the burning bush was the Word. Okay? Um, any, any, kind of, any one of those manifestations, that's actually the Word, pre-incarnate. Okay? But then he came into the world... As a child, as a baby, as the most vulnerable among us, yet he was God. Let's see what else. Okay, so one of the things that's caused people real problems with Christ is, and in fact it still is a problem today because unfortunately these splits still occur, And we'll talk about this more in another class. There's person, there's nature, and there's will. Right? So, how many persons is Jesus Christ? One. One person. person. Okay? One person with how many natures? Two. 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 Okay? So, one person, two natures. Okay? How many wills? Two, God and man. Two. Two. Very good. There's a heresy called monothelitism. We will cover that in one of the ecumenical councils. That said, no, no, Jesus, okay, yeah, he might have had two natures, but he only had one divine will. That's how he was so perfect. No, he had both a divine will and a human will, but they were, inter- they were, they were so in sync that it's almost impossible to distinguish the two. Okay. So, one of the earliest splits in the church was, as he talked about, the Council of Chalcedon. And we'll, go to, we'll talk about this a little bit more. That was where our Oriental Orthodox brethren split off from the Eastern Orthodox. So, the Oriental Orthodox, do we know who those are? Ethiopians. The Ethiopians, the Coptic Church, um, the uh, Armenians. The Malankarans. The Malankarans, the Syriac Church, okay? They split off in uh, 451 from the rest of the church. Was it all due to theology? None of those splits ever were. Okay? Was the, was the later schism between Rome and the rest of the church all theological in nature? No. Oh, no. Political. It was completely, almost po- completely political at the time. It was because the Roman church, as we know it, was actually the Frankish church, and Charlemagne wanted to be calling the shots, not having to answer to anybody else. So, unfortunately, what happens in those splits is, as time progresses and the separation 
continues, then theological splits do arise. Okay? And one of the jobs we have is if we are ever going to reunite as, as the one body of Christ, uh, bring everyone back together, then we have to figure out how to heal those splits. One of the problems that they had, of course, at the time was uh, communication. We can do everything instantaneously today. I'm, I'm pulling up my, you know, my notes here from a cloud that I don't even know where that is. It's somewhere in a Google data center, you know, and I can, I can sit with this device and I can talk to almost anybody in the world, right? Uh, except Dave Mitchell because he still has a flip phone. But <laughs> we'll pray for him. But, uh, <clears throat> but back then, how did everybody have to communicate? By courier. By courier. And how long did that take? A long time. A long time. Months, right? Months for letters to go back and forth. All right? Which was why it was a big deal, like when the emperor called a council together, that took months for people to get there. Because at that point, you're not just carrying messages, you're actually having to have everybody go. Right? So, one of the problems with the theology in the Council of Chalcedon was that you had two schools of thought. One was up here in Antioch, all right, and the other was down here in Alexandria. And there's no interstate between those two, all right? So the other thing that happened was all of these terms also were new. Right? We were using philosophical terms to describe things for which there was no standard meaning. Right? So you had these letters going back and forth between those who represent us, basically, at the Council of Chalcedon, and those who, who ended up, you know, we now know as the Oriental Orthodox. Okay? So they were trying to say that there is one nature, but they are unified in the person of Jesus Christ, right? We were trying to say there's two, two natures. Yes, they are unified in the person of Jesus Christ, but there's two natures. So it was a matter of emphasis, okay? There were actually people who claimed who, who were monophysites. That means one nature, right? We are diophysites. Because we believe in two natures. All right? It's a matter of emphasis. Okay? This one is a heresy. But what... I had a lovely lunch, me and, and Father Anthony Bahu had a lovely lunch with um, uh, a Coptic priest in Dallas. Right? And we started talking about this. And he said, no, we believe exactly the same thing you believe. It's just a matter of emphasis. And what they found is, as these theological commissions have met... They said, then gone back through these when they finally sat face to face and all spoke English. Um, sadly, they uh, they said, "No, this is this is not what we meant. We were not. We are not monophysites." And we've always said, "Yes, you are. You're monophysites. Go away." And they said, "No, we're not." So one of the things that has come out of these discussions is we are we are pretty close now, actually, to reuni reunification with the Oriental Orthodox churches. Um, Theologically, we're in agreement on a lot of stuff. Um, almost everything. Here's the problem. History. We have 
this was 451, it's now 2017, we have 1,600 years of mutual excommunications and you, you did that to us and we did that to you to overcome. And that's going to be difficult. There are, there are already agreements in place that if you as an, as an Eastern Orthodox Christian find yourself in some place like Ethiopia where there is no Eastern Orthodox Church, there is an Oriental Orthodox Church, as long as you get permission, you can take communion there. Okay? And vice versa. All right? Unfortunately, that doesn't apply to generalities yet, but we're, that means we're close. I mean, if communion's allowed in any way, shape, or form, that means we're close. So, this is important. Yes, it all looks like a bunch of abstract terms, theological terms, but like you said, this is not abstract theological terms because we're not talking about an abstract theological concept. We're talking about a person. And our, our belief, our faith, our religion is not centered around concepts. Okay? We don't believe in concepts. We believe in a person. We believe in three persons of the Holy Trinity, but we believe specifically in the person of Jesus Christ. And if we are to restore our true humanity, then it is by restoring that relationship between ourselves and God. So, that's what I'm going to cover today. Any questions? A lot to consider. Well, I have a comment. Yes. It's about the Oriental <laughs> Church is actually very big in uh, Denton. Oh, yeah. And they have very strong youth or tools mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah, they, in fact, that, asked yeah. the Metropolitan if they could be combined. And he said, whenever your local priest is okay with it, yeah. it's okay. So that gave me hope because our youth, you know, that hopefully they don't have all that. Yes. Yeah, I mean, we, we've actually in the past taken our youth over to um, St. Mary's Colleyville. Yes. Uh, it's a, like a three-hour liturgy. Mm-hmm. Well, so, yeah. you know, but it's, but it's very educational. <laughs> but it's very educational. Um, yeah, we have, we have, you know, if we're talking about percentages, we're at 97, 98% with the, with the Coptic Orthodox. Now, communion only occurs when, when you have 100. And part of the problem is, okay, our churches signed the decrees of the Council of Chalcedon. Theirs didn't. So how do we resolve that? Are we going to force them to go back and sign Chalcedon? Are we going to force? Are, are they going to force us to take our names off Chalcedon? You know, what's the fix for that? There's a lot of history under the bridge. Here's here's even more so. There are two. Actually, there's more than two, but there's two Orthodox patriarchates of Alexandria. There are two. There are two um, patriarchates. There's two Orthodox patriarchs, at least two patri Orthodox patriarchates of Antioch. Okay, absolutely. Do you know the two bishops that we pray for, Metropolitan Paul Yazigi and Archbishop Ibrahim? Metropolitan Paul Yazigi is one of our bishops. He, in fact, is our patriarch's brother, and he was kidnapped along with Archbishop Ibrahim, who is of the Syriac Orthodox Church of Antioch. And they are non-Chalcedonian. They're Oriental Orthodox. Okay? But the two of them were out together trying to negotiate 
the release of a priest. And then they were kidnapped. So that's why, that's, that's one of the comforting things that gives me hope is, we act, normally we would not be praying for a prelate of a non-Orthodox church during the prayers of the people. There are other times you could pray for them. But the fact that we're praying for him just as we would one of our own, that gives me hope. So... Okay. That's another subject. That's another subject is um, because no, you don't call an ecumenical council. Councils are only are only recognized as ecumenical after a few hundred years, and it says, "Oh, that council, what they did, that was ecumenical, and that affects the whole church." So yes, there are efforts to call a great. There was an effort recently to call a great and holy council of all the Orthodox churches. And traditionally, there's an open seat left for the Church of Rome, but it stays empty. Um, but yeah, that's, it's tough enough now with, with the, the political infighting between Constantinople and Moscow to even get the Orthodox to talk to each other. But there are ongoing theological commissions between the Eastern Orthodox and the Oriental Orthodox, between the uh, Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholics, between the Oriental Orthodox and the Roman Catholics. Um, here we have, we used to have SCOBA, which um, was the Standing Conference of Orthodox Bishops in America. Now it's called the Assembly of Bishops, okay, because it's now been blessed by all of the patriarchates as a means of bringing unity to Orthodoxy in the United States, okay. The Oriental Orthodox have a similar organization. It's called Scooch. <laughs> S-C-O-O-C-H, the Standing Committee, the Conference of Oriental Orthodox, uh, Canonical Hierarchs, I believe it's called. So yes, talks are ongoing. There, there's not going to be one big council anytime soon, but it's these small talks where everybody you know, says, okay, we agree on this and we agree on this, and there are documents that come out of that that, that the various patriarchates sign and say, yes, we sign off on this. So it's a very slow, tedious process, and it's been ongoing for literally centuries, but... It picked up, you know, once once the uh, internet came along and communications got like that, you don't have to send people across the world to a conference anymore by steamship. Um, things are proceeding, so there is hope. Any other questions? Nope. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you.